welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The title of this sermon is A Non-Anxious Christmas. One study showed that Christmas is the most stressful and anxiety-inducing time of year. Another study reveals that the Christmas season brings an increase of not only anxiety and stress, but of loneliness and depression. Um, It makes sense when you think about what this season brings, because there's all sorts of uh, commitments we have in our calendars during this time, holiday parties, birthdays, Um, we go shopping, we, we get into debt. Um, to, or we spend more money because we have this, we feel this pressure to make this Christmas better than last Christmas. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? It's just me. We struggle relationally in this season because we see people we haven't seen in a while or we see once a year and they always remind us, they trigger us with their language around the dinner table. Or we feel that pain of that loss because this season brings those memories of those people who aren't here that we miss and we wish were. Do you know what I'm talking about? The holiday season, Christmas, brings all sorts of these dynamics um, that we have to figure out how to navigate. So of course, anxiety increases during this time. Added pressure, added schedule, busyness, hurry, financial crisis, relational strains. But it's not just Christmas. Would you agree that we live in a culture of anxiety? Across the world, rates of depression and anxiety rose by more than 25% in 2020. Unsurprisingly, mental health concerns have climbed during the pandemic. There's all sorts of statistics that uh, one in every three Americans age 18 or older are affected by anxiety or depression. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults. That's nearly 20% of adults. So if you look at this room, 20% of adults in this room are dealing with anxiety. There's all sorts of statistics I can share, but for the sake of time, I just want to just, you just trust me or go research it for yourself. But we live in a culture of anxiety. We're living in the forefront, the beginning of the worst mental health crisis in the world. And the next generation are are experiencing it far more dramatically and drastically than any generation in before before it. But we look to Christmas, we call in the church, this season, you've heard this word already, is is Advent, which is the Latin word for arrival, which comes from the Greek word parousia, which means arrival. It has to do with the arrival of Jesus. So Advent is this time in the church calendar where we slow down, we begin the church year with Advent, this slow posture and pace to prepare our lives for the arrival of Jesus as he came as a baby, but also tied to the arrival that once again Jesus will come, Maranatha, Jesus come and restore things once and for all. And we look at Christmas and there's these words that feel very much like a Hallmark cliche movie, hope, peace, joy, and love. And I realize as a Christian that I kind of just use this season for these hallmark words that we place. I was driving through Lakewood the other day, yesterday, and I saw peace and love on those lampposts as you drive down Carson. I'm like, look at that. They're 
They're, they're decorating their city with these ancient Christian concepts. But I realized as I was preparing and reading, as I've been thinking about these ideas, these words, that these are actually the characteristics that Jesus' followers embody in such a way that transform the world around them. I actually was thinking about hope and peace and joy and love, and I, I realized that these are the attributes that will draw non-Christians into the Jesus movement in the coming years. So I want to talk about peace today and offer you some p- thoughts on how to live a more peace-filled life or an, how to have a non-anxious Christmas. Personally, I have struggled with anxiety. Because peace, the, the way we can understand what it is not is the kind of the opposite of peace, which is worry, fear, anxiety. And I've struggled most of my adult life with anxiety. I've shared stories here of significant health issues because of stress and anxiety. I've struggled the, that when I started this church, I developed massive uh, panic attacks where I would have... Uh, I felt like the world was crashing in on my body physically. I couldn't believe or breathe, and it looked like the world was kind of going ca- crazy. And and I remember struggling significantly with this. And I, throughout my life, I've had bouts of anxiety issues that impacted other parts of my body physiologically because of how I carried anxiety as a person. Anyone want to relate to these things? Just let me know. Thank you for we're we're all safe. Some of us are safe here. <laughs> Others of you, I'm just judging. But I can't really see you, unfortunately, right now until, until we get our own building. Uh, so live, give generously. And uh, <laughs> all to say, I've dealt with this. I've had breakthrough in the last six months with anxiety. And, and I actually was preparing for today share with our team, I actually believe God wants to supernaturally bring deliverance to some of you that deal with anxiety. So we'll get to there, but I want to give you, uh, I'm going to walk through this, and look, I know there's a time crunch, but I don't even care. We have one service, so if you want to walk out on my service, my sermon, I'm not going to be offended. Um, in all seriousness, I really believe God's going to do something today, and I don't always think that. Sometimes I show up, and I'm like, it was a bunt. It was a base hit. Great. <laughs> We got someone next week. It's good. I'm just walking off. You know, I did my part and served as a part of the team. Anxiety is the worst kind of monster. And for those of you that know, you have ears to hear. So listen to this. Anxiety sneaks up on you. It doesn't announce its presence, but it takes control of your life. It leaves you on its own terms, and its symptoms are wide-ranging. I, I was doing some research trying to help summarize it. Depending on your circumstances and your physiology, it can disguise itself in health problems, other health problems like heart arrhythmias, like chronic pain. Worst case scenario, chronic anxiety can even cause diseases like high blood pressure, obesity, and chronic inflammation. Anxiety can feel like you can't breathe, your heart is beating out of your chest, the world is leaving you behind, you're you're running in place, your head is in the fog, you're drifting aimlessly, you're afraid, there is a deep pain inside of you, you have sensory overload, you're alone, or you're at war with yourself. And yet at Jesus' birth, the angels announce the arrival of God's son, and it says, they say, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace, 
to those on whom his favor rests. The beginning of Jesus's ministry is marked by peace. And all throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see this massive theme of peace. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke chapter seven, there's a sinful woman that comes to Jesus at a Pharisee's party. She She was a prostitute. And she begins to do this scandalous thing where she pours this perfume worth a year's salary and lets down her hair, which was a scandalous thing. No one did that except in the bedroom with their spouse on Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with that perfume and her tears as she wept at this dinner party. And as Jesus tells this story for the judgment that was happening around the the dinner table, um, the, the, the Pharisees and the leaders begin to wonder who this man is. And then he has this outrageous statement to this prostitute performing this act of worship on his feet. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Time out, who can forgive sins? Only God. And they begin to question, who is this that forgives sins? They know the answer. And Jesus said to the woman as she leaves, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Another woman in Luke chapter eight uh, bled for 12 years. It made her unclean in the first century context. She was not allowed into the temple. She was not allowed to dine with other people. She was not allowed to perform uh, various worship activities. She couldn't do things because she was seen as ceremonially unclean according to the law. For 12 years, she spent her entire life savings, it says, trying to be cured of this physical condition. She knows Jesus is healing people if I could just touch his cloak, which we don't think twice about, but in first century context, for her to touch a rabbi, a prophet, the Messiah would risk him being contaminated and marked as unclean himself. She touches him in a crowd and he knows power left him. He stops. Who touched me? There's a ton of people around you, Jesus. Everyone's touching you is basically what his disciples said. And he's like, no, who touched me? And this little frail woman comes and says, it was me. And he says to her in Luke 8, 48, daughter, this old woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus is teaching his disciples in John chapter 14. This is his last teaching before he's killed by the Romans on a cross. And he says to them in verse 27 of chapter 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as, I give to you as the world does. Um, I'm sorry, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, we read over this, okay, cool, this great conversation about peace twice. But in the first century context, in ancient literature, if you wanted to emphasize something, We didn't have emojis and caps lock. You had repetition. So in John's literature, what he wants you to pay attention is that Jesus is leaving his disciples with peace. Twice. Jesus raised from the dead. He's spotted by his disciples. His last teaching to his disciples after he's been killed and resurrected from the dead, he shows up with the doors locked. And he says to them in verse 20, uh, verse 19, peace be with you. And after this, he showed him his hands and his side. He's showing his wounds from the crucifixion. And his disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. In verse 21, he says it again. 
Peace be with you. We have to understand that in the ministry of Jesus, peace is not some peripheral side idea. It's not some cliche for a Hallmark movie. No, this is central to the ministry of Jesus. This is central to following Jesus. This is central to the story of scripture. What is peace? And if you were to just contrast what I already talked about, about the culture of anxiety that we're living in, do you think Something is trying to prohibit the activity God wants to bring through you. Now, this isn't a shame conversation. I'm not saying have more faith and you will have more peace. I will talk about that at the end. I know anxiety sometimes requires medicine. There's an imbalance in your brain chemically. I'm not, I'm not challenging that, but I want to look at the biblical understanding of peace. Are you with me? So, Let's look at what the Bible defines as peace. So in the New Testament, we're talking about this word arene. Arene means harmony, tranquility, rest, freedom from worry. It's about well-being and welfare. That's a beautiful word. That the thing that Jesus leaves us is freedom from worry. Well-being, harmony, tranquility, rest. It originates from the root word, which means to join together, to bring whole. And so Irene has something to do with unity. And so it's often used throughout the ancient context in the New Testament uh, of, of reconciliation. This is what happens when two friends fight or two brothers fight and they come back together in relationship. That's Irene. They have peace. How many of you are longing for that kind of peace right now with relatives? Spouses, roommates, friends, coworkers. That thing feels out of place because there's this tension. There's something missing in this relationship. There's something missing in my capacity to rest. The Old Testament uses this word shalom, which the best translation of shalom is whole or wholeness or complete or completeness. It's about wealth, I'm sorry, health and success and personal well-being. But the idea in the Hebrew, Hebrew concept, the Hebrew mind, is that life is complex and it's full of many moving parts, relationships, situations, circumstances. And when any one of those pieces is off, shalom breaks down. And so shalom in the Hebrew understanding is everything working together the way it was intended to be. Everything in its right place, to quote Radiohead. Anyways, shalom, (laughs) dating myself, is about living in wholeness. God, life, relationships, vocation, work, kids, the world around you living in and working together in wholeness. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful picture? Actually, it does, right? So the Hebrews, the way they would greet each other in Jewish culture, they would say shalom, which was the Hebrew um, statement for well-being and health and wholeness and all those things. But in it draws the imagination of Genesis 1 and 2, which if you don't know the Christian story, the Hebrew story, the the biblical story, Genesis 1 and 2 is how the story begins. And the story begins with a picture of shalom. Genesis 1 and 2, everything is working the way it was intended to be. Humanity in right relationship with God. 
humanity in right relationship with itself. You and I were designed to have loving relationship with each other without strife and anger and competition and, 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 and one-upping. We are designed to live in harmony where we didn't press our needs, we, we blessed one another. We didn't force you to conform to an identity I have or believe in the same political sides I have. No, we just lived in one another. We lived with one another in an honoring way because God, God designed us to live in relationship with him, with ourselves, each other, and the rest of creation. So that image, that word, shalom, ties us back to the way it was intended to be in the first place. So when we think about peace, we're thinking about everything working the way it was intended to be. And we know Genesis 3 comes into the story, we rebel against God's way, and sin comes into the story. And one author, one scholar says that sin is the vandalization of shalom. It is the vandalization of everything working the way it was intended to be in the first place. This wholeness, you experiencing the life of wholeness. Are you guys with me? So it's why so much of the Old Testament has this future, when when you get to the prophets, it's like the prophets begin to imagine God doing something again in human history and drawing humanity back into this place that they call shalom. So we get to Christmas and there's all these Old Testament, if you read Micah, if you read Isaiah, if you read Jeremiah and Joel, there's different foreshadows of of this promised Messiah, this messenger that will come. Isaiah 9 is one of the most famous passages, and this is what Isaiah 9 says. Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's kingdom language. And he will be called, look at the names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of shalom. Of the greatness of his government, and shalom will be no end. The prophets promised this Messiah would come. God would come and establish his new kingdom and reign. And he would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father. But he will be the prince of shalom. And his peace will see no end. So do you see from the Old Testament to the ministry of Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, I can list so many passages in the epistles, which we'll talk about. Peace is a really big idea. And the idea is shalom is taking what is broken and making it whole. So when Jesus tells the prostitute, go in peace, he's saying this woman who's broken from moral failure, in broken relationships, in ongoing struggles, addictions, and sin, Jesus says, no, go in wholeness. A life restored, not one day when you die. No, peace right now in the midst. Wholeness here and now. Yes, you have a father-in-law who hates you. Yes, you have conflict with your roommate. Yes, you've been doing something that is no longer, um, uh, you're no longer able to do with your body because you are a follower of Jesus and that redefinition of holiness happens. Yes, all of those things need to be worked out, but now you go from a place of wholeness being restored and forgiven and you walk out this new identity in peace. Anyone here need to hear that word? So Jesus extends God's peace. But biblical peace, I just going to say, quick nuance, confronts the counterfeit forms of peace we settle for. Right? So peace is not the absence of conflict. Biblical peace is not the circumstances of our lives working out perfectly as we desire. Peace is not perfection to all my Enneagram ones out there. 
Peace is not a freedom from complexity. Peace is not the escape from reality. Peace is not freedom from pain or hardships. Peace is not financial security. Peace is not getting your house in order and keeping it clean. Peace is not what happens when we, our kids aren't fighting and they're doing well in school. Peace is not found in circumstances or situation. Biblical peace, true peace, the peace that surpasses understanding that Paul talks about is something entirely different. So what is biblical peace? This is what I've been settling and wrestling with this whole week. So here's some thoughts that I want to give you about what biblical peace looks like. And I encourage you on this stuff to take notes because there's some practical things that might help you Monday morning. What you need to see in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul, who's an expert in the things of God, the Old Testament, New Testament, he writes the New Testament in Jesus. He says this line in Ephesians, he says something so provocative. He says, for he himself is our peace. And then he goes on to talk about this idea that, that Jesus took two groups that were divided and brought them together, and he preached peace to those who are far away and those who are near. This idea, though, is that Jesus himself is our peace. So let me just talk about how do we gain access to peace? How do we live as a non-anxious presence? What I want to share is that we have access to wholeness through relationship with Jesus. And this isn't some cliche Christian thing. The way we get back to Genesis 1 and 2 is through right relationship with God. And the God we worshiped is named Jesus. So it's through ongoing, loving relationship and connection that we can even begin to have a conversation of peace. We'll talk about practices in a moment. We'll talk about how the world will offer you strategies to deal with your anxiety, which I've done all of them, no no exaggeration, including yoga. But it will leave you with longings that can only be met by the one true God in your life. Jesus is peace, period, full stop. So however we describe the biblical understanding of peace, we have to filter it through the lens of Christ. He becomes our image through which we understand peace through. So that goes to the second point. Peace, I wanna start with this, is the fruit of a life lived with God. That thing we're longing for with those of us who struggle with anxiety, that absence of conflict, that settling of our soul, the ability to take deep breaths and not have shallow breathing, that ability when that email comes and that subject happens for your body not to go to that fight and flight mode, that physiological, the thing we want most is a realignment of your life with God in an ongoing way. Paul says in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, he talks about what's called the fruit of the spirit. And in it, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So what he contrasts is really the fruit of the world, which talks about envy and uh, strife and fighting and anger and all sorts of things. And he says, no, no, no. As you live the way of Christ and partner with God through the power of the Holy Spirit over a long period of time, when you realign your life and keep realigning your life to the way of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be fruit growing from that life. That way of life will produce characteristics in you that you cannot grow on your own. Even if you tried, have more self-control, have more self-control, have more self-control, God gives you a baby. 
have more patience, have more. God gives you a spouse or a roommate who doesn't do the dishes. And you think, oh, I'm praying for patience, but all I have is a roommate who doesn't clean the dishes. And God's like, exactly. Do you get what I'm saying? That we work with God in ordinary life for these things to develop fruit. It's, it's not some zapped moment. We all want that moment, but it starts with recognizing Jesus, aligning your life with him. And then it comes to realigning your life as you go. And the third, which is true, which I just said, is peace is a gift from God. There's no way around this. I could give you so many scriptures that argue peace can be received like a gift from God to you. Now, it's not something you can achieve. So these characteristics we want, we can't achieve it without the power of God. But there are moments in our life where God just extends grace. There's moments where peace, the peace of God comes upon you in prayer and you feel his presence as peace. Now, to sustain that, let me just, this is what I meant by getting zapped. To sustain that requires your effort. Now, in the charismatic circles where the churches that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, we try to see those moments of encounter as the only way we change. I just need to get that hit again. Darren's calling people forward for prayer. I just need to get that hit again. Rather than receiving that gift you received from God and then partnering with him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to steward that gift you were given. That gift was given for a reason. Now enjoy it. Receive peace. I love what Thessalonians said. Paul says in Thessalonians, he says, um, now may the Lord of peace himself, so the Lord of peace, give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Come on. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Thessaloniki. The idea is that God himself, who is peace, can give you peace in abundance so that in every, at every time, in every way, you can experience the thing that we're all longing for. Shalom. In every way. Not just when everything's clean, Right? Dishes are done, laundry's folded, kids are getting along, kumbaya on the fireplace, every, you know, the crackling, the cool weather in Southern California, like, oh, thank you, Jesus. No, 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 when the chaos comes, when they're not getting along, when the emails aren't done, when the house is a wreck, and when someone's upset with you, you can live in a state of shalom because you've been trained in the way of Jesus. Now, are you guys with me? Can I keep going? The other thing I've observed is that, and this is through a conversation with my wife the other night. We, I was like, we were driving yesterday. And I was like, I just need to run this by you. And she, this is all her. This section, which is my favorite part, all rights go to Alex. So anything that's not good is probably for me. But she had this thought, and she, it, what, what, I, what I was processing is this idea that peace is a process, right? So listen, stick, stick with me on this one. How many of you know that living out peace requires ongoing challenges to your current state of existence? Like, like the problem is we find our comforts, 
our security, we can use that word, or we can even use we find our peace in the counterfeits. And this is what I was wrestling with because if you're gonna Google how do I deal with anxiety, there are so many websites out there that have similar things about your anxiety. Almost all of them will lead you down a path of medication. I'm not saying I'm against that. But what you see are these universal truths about how you can deal with anxiety. Here's the list that I got and I summarized. Number one, slow down. So like, number one thing you can do to deal with your anxiety is to slow down. Everyone's like, yes, we need to stop hurrying. My friend John Mark wrote a best-selling book on that. Why is it a best-selling book? Because it's a universal truth. We are all living in a hurry. And if you want any form of real peace, you have to slow down your life. Two, you need to eat well. Some foods create anxiety in your body physiologically. Ding, 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 red flags. When our diet is not healthy, it will make you feel certain things. There are things that we are addicted to in our diets that tell us, tell our brain to act a certain way until we feed ourselves those things we're addicted to. So universal truths, eat well, exercise, get enough sleep, limit your caffeine. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> take responsibility for the areas of, uh, areas of your life you can control. And, and accept what you can't control. These are universal truths that any therapist will teach you, that life, you, you have this illusion of control, and so much of our anxiety and stress has to do with trying to control the things that we, we actually have no power over. So accept it, but also take responsibility and don't be a victim for the things that you, can't, that you can control. Uh, practice gratitude. I'll talk about this next week that there's a neurological, a neuroscience study that shows, and I found it, it was in a song, and I, I was like, this is crazy if it's true that anxiety and gratitude can't exist in the brain at the same time. Wow. So we'll talk about that next week when we talk about joy. Get off social media and, and put restrictions on your phone. Now, here's the point. These practices are helpful. They're useful, but they aren't the answer to living out the biblical peace Jesus offers us. In fact, what I've learned is that what you really need to do is evaluate where you find your peace, right? So where did you put your trust or your hope is, where you put your trust or hope is key to understanding how you experience peace in life, all right? So let's just, let's just say, okay, and this is where the conversation with Alex went. Yeah, we could say as Christians, yeah, I put my trust in Jesus, but I get a lot of anxiety when I don't get to work out in the mornings. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? I get, I get like really stressed out and on edge with my family when I don't get my quiet time and coffee before the kids wake up. Yeah, I put my trust in Jesus, but when finances are tight, I tend to be short with my spouse or my kids or my coworkers. I sometimes carry a physiological tightness in my chest when we have less money in our bank accounts. Yeah, I have faith in Jesus, but I tr and I trust him, but when there's conflict in any relationship, not only can I lose sleep at night, but I begin to get critical of every other family member and how they participated in the conflict. Is this just me? Yeah, I put my trust in Jesus, but all of a sudden, when anything is off that's on that list, I'm hurried, I'm stressed out, uh, I'm not eating well, I didn't get good sleep, all of a sudden, I feel all that stress and anxiety in my body again. 
You see, faith cannot be separated from the reality of your life. What do I mean by that? Faith is not some spiritual word. It's grounded in everyday life. What I've seen is that we put our trust, our faith, our hope in things we hope and long to give us peace, but they're the wrong things. These are the things that provide momentary security and comfort, but they're shakable. They will never deliver the thing we're actually longing for, yet we still put our trust in those things. So we trust Jesus, but I I feel better with more money. I trust Jesus, but I feel better when there's no conflict in my relationships. I feel better. I trust Jesus, but I don't really feel great until the house is cleaned when I'm home. They're counterfeit peace. We say, yes, our hope is in Jesus, but we put our emotional, physical, and even spiritual well-being into the things that are shakable. Peace is a process. And what do I mean by that? It's an ongoing detachment from the things that bring counterfeit peace in our lives. And it's a realigning of our intentional hearts, thoughts, and bodies and lives to Jesus. So we must realign our lives when we feel like our peace is gone. Just take a quick inventory. Close your eyes. I want you to just take a deep breath. Feel your body and ask yourself if you feel peace. And then if you don't feel peace, I want you to ask this question. Where did I lose my peace? And just close your eyes. I just want you to think, was it, okay, so where did I lose it? Now go back through the week in your mind, right? So you don't have it. Was it Wednesday when you got that email that that um, order that's supposed to be here for your clients isn't gonna be here? And now you're working all this all this energy and time to try to build relationship and keep connection because you know the supply chain issue is keeping you from, delivering when you said you would deliver? Is it on Thursday when that, your parent, the parent-teacher conversation that you had said that your child wasn't doing as well as the other children? Or was it Saturday night when um, you, got, you, you were out way too late and you realized that that kind of lifestyle is impacting your faith? Where did you lose your peace? This is actually a really helpful practice. You can open your eyes. This is something that we were taught as a couple, and it's something we think about regularly because there are weeks that go by and we realize we lost our peace weeks ago. And we have to keep a short account with peace and know where our peace lies. And so part of the process is this intentional realignment with God and his way and recognizing that our peace was lost when we placed it with our, the disappointment of that person or whatever it is that you found. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? Dallas Willard says this, and I love this quote. He says, what we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. Wrong ideas about God make it impossible for us to function in relationship to one another. We are not able to love one another because we do not have our minds filled with an accurate vision of God. So here's the universal truth. We we talked about the universal truths. Here's the universal truth about peace. Romans 15, 13, Paul says this to the church. 
may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That's a great prayer, right? Like this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, this is probably one of those passages I highly recommend memorizing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. See, that's, that's the word. You see, you want, you want the, the quick answer, the quick fix to how do you live from the state of well-being and shalom? It's in that word trust. Now, I don't want you to um, kind of throw out trust as this Christianese language. You see, the word trust is connected to hope and it's connected to belief. And this idea in our Western context is like this idea, oh, we can believe in God like we can believe in a toaster. Like this intellectual, like God exists idea. But the idea of trust, hope, belief, it's this idea that you've been persuaded. You've been won over by. It's why Polycarp, one of the early Christian martyrs in 86 AD, was burned alive. And they were threatening him to recant his faith. He needed to get rid of his faith. And he says, why would, I, why would I throw, uh, why would I not follow Jesus? I've followed him my whole life. And they'd say, well, we can burn you with fire. And he's like, you know nothing about fire. Your fire will be extinguished in an hour. I know a fire that has an inquenchable, it doesn't end fire. Do what you want. And they light him on fire and he doesn't burn according to the first eyewitnesses. This is historical Polycarp. Look it up. The martyrdom of Polycarp. In fact, as they burn him and his body doesn't burn, a fragrant aroma goes out and people remember it tasting, smelling sweet. And so because his body won't burn, they stab him with a spear. Polycarp believed in Jesus a way that I want to believe in Jesus. It is so much so that he relied on God even until his death. So much of our trust is in a way that we never really need God to show up anyways. So you don't have peace because you haven't put yourself on the line with God. There's a, a, my favorite New Testament scholar who's living is a guy named Frederick Del Bruner. He's translated Matthew and John. He's an expert in the Greek language and historical um, languages. And he's written a bunch of the, uh, commentaries. But he translates this word believe, which is connected to hope and trust. And he says, a better translation for trust in modern context is actually relaxing. So he says, relaxing in Jesus is a good modern translation of trusting in or believing in. We find peace when we learn to trust, when we learn to relax in Jesus. Trust is this active recentering of our life around the way of Jesus, which is why Jesus can say, therefore, do not worry about your life. Matthew chapter six. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. How on earth can Jesus say that? That is so offensive. 
There are so many other worries than those things, but yes, those things are included in the worries that I carry every single day. But his assumption is so radical because right before this, he assumes that if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you have put your faith and your trust in God. You have grounded yourself in ultimate reality, which is God himself. And if something else is taking that place, like your career, your family, your job, your need for approval, your need for financial security or money or comfort or beauty or whatever it is, whatever it is, if you have trust in those things, then absolutely you should worry. The only way this makes sense is if you come to a decision that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead and it's him who has authority in your life and it's him that you place your hope and trust in. So if you come to believe or relax that Jesus is your ultimate reality, then guess what? You can learn to live in wholeness. And as a a result of time, you become a non-anxious presence in the world. Now, I probably should end here, but I have another section. So can I just read this? Are you guys good? So if you want to go, go ahead. You can leave. I'll give you, get up, use the restroom. Not going to judge you. Anyone here? Anyone? Okay. I want to I give you one insight that wrecked me because peace can be given away. If you look at scriptures, what you see is not only can you receive it, not only is it a gift, not only is it Jesus, not only is it a process, but it's a gift that can be given away. You can give peace away. Luke chapter 10, it says, when you enter a house, he's talking to his disciples, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. Your peace will rest on them. Are you kidding me? It's usually the other way around, right? Their anxiety rests on you. That's how this world works. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever you can. And then it goes on, when you enter a town and are welcome, so that process of peace stays. Look at what he says. Eat what is offered, heal the sick and, uh, and who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this idea and I just want to play with it for a second, is that you become the kind of person where you are a non-anxious presence who gives peace into contexts, cities, households, and people away. What is this world longing for? Well, 40% of Americans, 40 million Americans, are dealing with a serious issue. And Christianity, according to Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, has this capacity for those who learn the way of Jesus, who live in the way of Jesus, to give away this thing as a gift from God to other people who are willing to receive peace. Edwin Friedman, the great um, systems theorist, he's written several books. He's, he was a rabbi and a counselor, a, a therapist, and he consulted with the government and the U.S. Army. And he, after years of doing family practice, he came to realize that his method of family therapy wasn't working. There's a better way to change systems, systems like marriage, families, businesses or institutions like, you know, the U.S. Army. And what he discovered is it's not about giving everyone the right data, giving everyone the right um, differentiated self-leadership styles, like your Enneagram type, your disk test, your conflict patterns. It's not just about tools that bring lasting change. He discovered that you could change an entire system, whether that's the U.S. government or your marriage, which is a system, please, um, And and I quote, through this process, he says, it takes one person 
to change a system or environment. One person to become responsible for change, they become a non-reactive, non-anxious presence and an agent of change for that system. He, ta- he stopped doing group therapy sessions and started looking for the one person who would take responsibility for the party, who had influence over the party, who was willing to change themselves and become a non-anxious self-differentiated leader who wouldn't allow the anxiety of the group, whether that was a family or an entire institution like an organization. He, and this is from his book, Failure of Nerve. Um, he said that you can change the system, the entire system. That you can become a gift that gives away peace to the world. Man, I've got so much. I'm just gonna leave it for just a second. I'll end with this. There's a story in Acts. So there's a story of Jesus calming the storm. Remember what he says in that moment where he speaks to the winds and the waves and there's this absolute chaotic world and environment. I think it's so, it's a perfect illustration for what we're experiencing in the world. It's like they, they believed in their cultural mindset was that to go across the other side was to go through the seas that were marked by demon, they were demon possessed. And the other side was where Gentiles lived, so it was unclean. And so they were afraid, they were terrified, and sure enough, as soon as they get onto the sea, there's a storm, they're being killed. The idea is that they're being killed by God's enemies. That's their, their mindset, their superstitious mindset. So they're like, oh, they're freaking out. They think they're gonna drown, so they're like, they wake Jesus up, bring Jesus into their anxiety and the chaos. Don't you care we're gonna drown, they say? He looks at them and says, and he rebukes the winds and the waves, and it goes still. And he says, where is your faith? And they're like, who is this that the winds and the waves obey? Jesus doesn't enter into their anxiety. He lives as a self-differentiated, non-anxious presence, and his perspective changes the circumstances. Now, we're like, okay, he's the son of God, that makes sense. But there's another story of a storm in Acts, and it's Paul. Paul is a prisoner to Rome, he's going to Rome, and they're in the seas, and there's such a bad hurricane swell that um, for weeks they don't see the sun. It's in Acts chapter 27, and it's absolutely chaotic. They didn't eat for 14 days, and this moment um, in Acts 27 verse 21, Paul stood up before them, and he's never, he's a prisoner going to be executed, Right? in this massive storm. Storm, that's a bit, have you ever experienced turbulence on a plane? You you can be praying out loud when you experience rough turbulence. So 14 days of this, he stands up and he says, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you, listen to this, to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, how cool is this? An angel of God to whom I belong to to whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God graciously has given graciously the lives of all who sail with you. So because I'm on this boat, all of you are gonna live. That's what Paul's saying. God's got plans for my life. This ship is going down, but because I'm on it, we're gonna, we're gonna make land. But look at what he says. He says, so keep your faith Keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we're gonna run aground on some island. I love it, right? So I just want you to see what's possible. I want you to have an imagination for what's possible in our culture and society. Not only can you change massive systems as a non-anxious presence, but your belief in God can shape the world around you. 
Paul developed a mindset that was shaped in the reality of God, and his posture literally saved the lives of men in a storm. Because peace, and here's what my definition is, is living in the present from heaven's perspective. Peace is not about living. Peace is about living in the present moment, accepting reality as it is. We're gonna run aground. We're gonna lose the ship. But not allowing the circumstances to to determine your attitude. Not allowing the facts of the situation to disrupt your faith. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Fact, that was a crisis. Truth, God is with us in the boat. Fact, you don't have money for rent. Truth, God always provides. Fact, people are disappointed with me. Truth, their perception of me doesn't determine my value or worth. Fact, I feel anxiety in my body at times and it's triggered in my brain. Truth, anxiety doesn't exist in heaven. Peace is living in the present from heaven's perspective. Fact, many of you are struggling with anxiety and longing for peace. Truth, peace is available here today for you. Some of you don't have peace because you don't know Jesus. Some of you don't have peace because you've aligned your life to the way of Jesus and you've, you haven't aligned your life to the way of Jesus and you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit producing lasting fruit. Some of you don't have peace because you refuse to receive from God what only he can give you. You're trying with all your might for a different life with all that list, but God wants you to let go and receive his grace for no good reason other than the fact that he loves you. Some of you don't have peace because you haven't partnered with him through the process, and some of you lost it, and you're searching for it because you've settled for counterfeits. Can we stand? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.